Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome back to episode five of the podcast and my very first Q&A episode. And I thought that this would be really helpful because I've listened to podcasts in the past that have done similar things and it's just a great way for you to kind of connect and communicate with me and tell me what you're struggling with and I can offer some natural solutions and point you in the right direction and obviously disclaimer that I'm not giving medical advice and you shouldn't replace this with the advice of your practitioner but I just think it's really helpful for people to either know that they're on the right track or to kind of get some advice and to point them in the right direction. As a practitioner I get a lot of email questions or DMs on Instagram all the time and I don't like to give advice just over messenger because I don't feel like it's personal enough and I don't know enough information from those people in order to give a sound and correct kind of recommendation whereas these emails that you can send in to the podcast are going to be much more comprehensive and provide a lot more detail that I need in order to serve you the best and give you the best information possible. I'm going to cover one or two questions in this episode just depending on how long it takes and these ladies reached out to me over the past couple of weeks and at first they were just pretty basic questions but I had to kind of reply and ask for more detail um, including the supplements, medications and diets, other things like that that are really useful information because when someone just emails you saying help for acne or help for hair loss it's quite general and you can't really get into the more specific things that are important because you don't know what the diet's like, you don't know what other symptoms they're dealing with, what medication they're on that may contraindicate. So if you want to go ahead and submit a question, you can do that and email it to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. All the information's linked in the show notes as always. But I do recommend you to be as specific as possible and describe your diet, lifestyle, exercise, supplements, medication and your current symptoms in a lot of detail. Obviously not pages and pages but you'll kind of get a sense of what I'm looking for from these two questions today. I've had such great feedback from the first couple of episodes and I'm really glad you're enjoying things. I'm always open to comments and requests for blog posts so send me a message on Instagram or send me an email. I'll be happy to provide and create content that you're needing and looking out for. Okay, so let's get on to the very first question. This one is from a girl called Katie who is 30 years old. So the email goes, Hi Vivian, I've been having weight issues since having my first child three years ago. 
Before that, I was fit and healthy. However, as soon as I gave birth, I just felt flat and have been unable to lose the pregnancy weight ever since, no matter how hard I tried to push myself at the gym and limit my calories. I'm currently 30 years old, and my doctor told me that it was my metabolism slowing down as I got older. All of my test results have come back normal, despite me also struggling with fatigue and low mood. I'm pretty sure that it's not my age. All of my other friends who are similar ages aren't dealing with these issues. Could this be my hormones, or do you think it's a slow metabolism? What can I do naturally to support these things? Sorry this email was so long, but I appreciate your advice. So I want to thank you, Katie. I've let Katie know that I'm going to be covering this on the podcast. However, if you submit a question and you want to keep it anonymous, that's totally fine. Just pop that underneath and I will definitely keep things um, nameless. Katie also provided her breakfast, which is currently nothing on most days and... Sometimes if she's got time or she's quite hungry, she'll just go for a bagel with some peanut butter on there. For lunch, it's usually a chicken wrap bought from a store and also a bag of crisp and a bottle of Diet Coke. And for dinner, it's usually just something like spag ball with mushrooms, peppers and onions. Supplement-wise, she's currently taking a multivitamin along with vitamin C and she's currently restarted the oral contraceptive pill to kind of help with some of her symptoms and just to prevent getting pregnant after her first child. She's swimming twice a week and walking daily and she's just started a crossfit gym because she's heard it's really good for toning up, building muscle and losing weight. Okay so Katie my first thought would be definitely you're not just getting old and this doesn't have to happen just when you reach 30 things don't automatically start to fall apart and crumble that's not how it goes at all what i would say is that even though your lab tests are quote normal this is normal in the eyes of the nhs and conventional practitioners in functional medicine and nutritional therapy these ranges can vary massively especially with things like thyroid results and also iron and vitamin d stores All of these things, I believe, could be playing a part in your condition. Therefore, it's really important that you ask for a copy of your results and either get them checked through by an alternative health practitioner or functional medicine practitioner or someone like myself who can review these results with a different perspective and with different reference ranges. When you said that you've had blood tests as well, it's Sometimes your doctor will tell you that he's tested everything that's important. However, they can often miss things like your nutrient stores. So they may test iron, but not ferritin, which is the stored form of iron. When they said that they tested thyroid, they could have just tested TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. That's actually a brain hormone. And it's usually one of the last things to kind of go out of range when your thyroid's not functioning optimally. What we do want to be testing is several different markers for the thyroid, including the hormones that the thyroid itself produces, like T4, T3, reverse T3, and also your thyroid antibodies, because the rest of your thyroid could be quite healthy and in normal levels, but if you've got elevated antibodies to your thyroid, these are TPO and TG antibodies, This can be causing an autoimmune attack on the thyroid that may not result in your levels changing until 
8, 10, 12 years down the line. So we want to kind of identify that now if there is any present and hopefully prevent the deterioration of the thyroid gland in the future years. Unfortunately, a lot of GPs don't agree with testing anything more than T4 and TSH because they don't have another treatment than thyroxine if any of the results are out of whack. So if you had autoimmune thyroid problems, the solution would be just thyroid, the same as if your TSH was too high. Whereas in functional medicine, a sluggish thyroid due to nutrient deficiencies and stress is going to be different to one driven by autoimmune process because in that case we're going to be focusing on your immune system, your immune regulatory balance and your gut health and always ask for your lab results. They can sometimes be a bit funny with you asking and make kick up a bit of a fuss about it but it's your right to have access to your lab results. You may have to pay for the paper that they print them out on or you can ask for them to be emailed to you but you definitely have a right to view your lab results. The fact that your symptoms seem to have started after having your first child does indicate that there's been a sort of hormone shift which is really common and this could definitely be contributing to the weight issues and the fatigue, low moods and all the other things that you're dealing with. As I mentioned with thyroid this is a common time for thyroid conditions to develop because times of fluctuating hormones like puberty, menopause and postpartum are all times when we are more prone to developing thyroid disorders and other things like autoimmunity. For this reason I really think it's important to get that full thyroid picture so that we can see what's really going on with the thyroid because if you're not sure what the thyroid is it's our master metabolic gland that controls everything from our heart rate to our metabolism to our hormone production, our bowel motility, brain function and temperature. Therefore, if that's slowed down or if it's out of whack in any way, this can really affect every single cell of our body because every single cell has a thyroid receptor. It can be normal for some women to not get back to the pre-baby weight and that's totally normal, but if you feel like you're over what you should be to be healthy and thriving and you're trying to lose weight which you are you're restricting calories and exercising which I'll come on to but if you feel like you're putting in effort and you're not seeing any results or your your weight's constantly creeping up that is a signal that something's out of whack in the body that we need to kind of find the root cause of and address and always when it comes to weight I believe that we shouldn't really just focus on the weight alone and instead we should aim to kind of get the body healthy and weight will normalise and stabilise itself to a healthy set point when that happens. And I want to just touch on diet a little bit because although there is a lot of research and information out online now about intermittent fasting and why you don't really need breakfast, how you can skip meals and it'll produce a lot of benefits to the body and help with cellular autophagy and clearing the system and detoxification that can definitely be the case but I find like this is more suitable to males and also women who aren't struggling with hormone imbalances because this extra little stress can definitely just be too much for the body and tip you over the edge so you may not feel that hungry in the morning but that in itself can be a sign of a hormone problem or something's just not optimal in the body, maybe a deficiency of some sort. 
However, your body can also just be used to not having food, so it kind of slows things down further. And we know that when we restrict calories, which you are doing by eating less than you should be, this can slow the metabolic rate down. And therefore, when we try to increase calories or eat extra, our body has a new set point. And then anything over that will store as fat and we, we won't be able to lose weight as easy as we should be. This can be hard to reverse and it requires a process of slowly increasing calories. Although it's not all about calories, they are important when it comes to weight, but hormones are more important in my opinion. Slowly increasing your calories week by week may be a good thing to start with and possibly you could gain a few pounds. This is your body just regulating. It may be some extra water weight just as things regulate in the body however this can definitely trigger and stress a lot of women out especially if the goal is to lose weight and I'm telling them that they may gain a few pounds over the next couple of weeks just temporarily but this does definitely freak them out and I just have to remind them that it's a process and you have to kind of restore the damage that's been done from the chronic dieting and metabolic damage. Back to breakfast, I really think it would be beneficial for you to start to eat breakfast again. Just because you're dealing with the low energy and low moods and the weight issues. If your body's not starting the day with any food, this is like a dwindling fire that's been put out overnight. And in the morning, we really need to ignite that fire again and provide our body with fuel and energy to get through the first couple of hours of the day. It doesn't have to be a full meal, especially if you're not hungry at the moment until your appetite kind of regulates again. But even something simple like a protein smoothie, so not tons of fruit. You can have things like almond milk, coconut milk, nuts and seeds, some protein powder in there, some green powders, some superfood powders, some cinnamon and some berries or a small banana. And this can provide the body with a lot of nutrients and a lot of building blocks and macronutrients to fuel your metabolism for the next couple of hours and really kickstart that energy production from the start of the day. Plus, it's easy to digest. It's quick and easy to make. You can even do it the night before. Just pop everything in the blender or make it the night before and store it in your fridge and then it's just ready to go in the morning. Other quick things are just going to be like omelettes or leftovers from the night before, soup, chia seed puddings, just kind of mixed chia seeds, fruit, berries, nuts and seeds, cinnamon and some milk in a little jar and stir it all up and then in the morning your breakfast is ready to go. When we don't eat enough during the day and in the morning as well, this can really set ourselves up to overeat later on in the day. I see this really commonly, people either avoid a lot of food in the day thinking that they're being healthy or eating really quote clean healthy foods throughout the day but restricting in some ways and then towards 8 9 p.m at night after they've eaten the dinner they feel like binging on cereal or chocolate or crisp because the body's not been fed well enough during the day and it's kind of searching for anything to feed it and provide some nutrients and that's kind of at the wrong time of the day as well because our body just isn't ready to intake food at that time our digestive system slows down and kind of shuts off by 7 8 p.m so it is best to eat when the sun is out this is how we naturally evolved as humans and as the night comes it's time for our body to clear everything out and if you go to sleep with a stomach full of food this can really impact your detoxification systems overnight meaning that your 
deep sleep isn't going to be as good and your repair and regeneration isn't going to be optimal either because your body's going to be focusing on digesting that meal first before focusing on your liver health and clearing the kind of toxic waste from your brain and rebuilding the cells that have been damaged throughout the day. Obviously, once in a while you've been out for a meal and it's been late at night and you go to bed. Obviously, every now and again it's totally fine, but it's the people who do this day in, day out that are kind of harming their bodies and not setting themselves up for a good night's sleep. And then this obviously impacts the next day as well. Continuing on the food side of things, the fact that I mentioned the thyroid link, obviously we can't diagnose anything and it just needs to be investigated. But if it were to be a thyroid issue, the first recommendation would be to go gluten free. And this might sound strange, how is gluten and wheat got anything to do with the thyroid gland? But there's actually a massive link between gluten sensitivity and thyroid disorders, specifically the autoimmune type, which is the most common cause of thyroid issues, this autoimmune response. I believe it's 95% of hypothyroidism is actually due to autoimmunity, known as Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And over the past couple of years, it's been found that a process known as molecular mimicry is actually a big driver of thyroid autoimmunity. What happens is when we consume gluten, this has a similar amino acid structure and protein structure to the thyroid. I really like Sean Stevenson's analogy to this. You can think of gluten having the amino acid structure ABBA, ABBA, and what happens is when your immune system becomes on overdrive, your body and the immune cells can start to search out for that same protein structure throughout the body to kind of attack it. And unfortunately, the thyroid gland has a similar protein structure and does have that ABBA link in there as well, meaning that your body is searching for the gluten to react and respond to if it's sensitive to it. And this can therefore cause the body to misinterpret things and instead attack the thyroid gland. And over time, this process can lead to damage and destruction of the gland so that it can't actually produce thyroid hormones well enough. And when I say to go gluten-free, this doesn't mean to head to the free-from aisle of the supermarket and pop everything in your basket or trolley because that's not going to be beneficial for anyone. 90% of the brands that are available in commercial supermarkets are full of crap, basically, and are probably just as bad as the gluten-containing products. So you really want to avoid them at all costs and instead just go for naturally gluten-free foods, not things that have been mimicked and stripped and created in labs to look and taste like gluten. There are so many natural foods and plants that are naturally gluten-free that you can opt for instead. Things like potatoes and rice and quinoa, buckwheat, these are all naturally gluten-free carbohydrate sources. So you don't necessarily have to go on a low-carb diet to be gluten-free. And obviously you've got your meats, fish, eggs, nuts, seeds, healthy fats. Just basing your diet around that is going to provide so much benefit and it's going to be naturally and automatically gluten-free. And this could just be an elimination diet and a trial to see how you get on and how your body responds. Because not everyone is gluten sensitive, but a lot of people are. And you can do expensive tests and functional labs to see if you are gluten sensitive, but these aren't always accurate and the most important and easy way to assess if you are intolerant to these foods are to just do an elimination diet where you cut them out for 30 to 60 days and then reintroduce them very slowly and 
observe for any signs or symptoms occurring and listening to your body signals and getting to know your body is the best way to assess what's right and what's wrong in terms of diet. The symptoms that you look out for are going to be things like itching, maybe a scratchy throat, a headache, joints pain or swelling, acne breakouts, digestive issues, anxiety attacks, poor sleep and low mood. It could really be anything so keep a journal and track how long that you've cut the food out for and then reintroduce and write down every single day how your bowels were, how your mood is and how you're feeling overall plus any other symptoms that you may have experienced. If your lab results do come back that you have elevated antibodies to your thyroid so this indicates Hashimoto's thyroiditis it is recommended that you go completely gluten-free until your thyroid antibodies are back in range. This can take quite a long time because it's multifactorial, it's not just the gluten that's the problem but it is a big driver. Plus other foods like dairy, corn and soy can also be common drivers of this, however gluten from what I've seen is the biggest. So when you have your meals in the evening like spaghetti bolognese, there are simple swaps that you can do just to reduce the intake of gluten and wheat just as a trial or if you find out that you are sensitive, making the swap from regular maybe wholemeal pasta or white pasta to naturally gluten-free ones like red lentil, buckwheat, brown rice pasta. You can also get pea pasta. There's tons of different options these days. It's amazing. They all taste really good so you definitely won't feel deprived. A lot of people don't even taste the difference between regular and gluten-free pasta. You can also do something like courgette or butternut squash noodles or sweet potato noodles instead of that pasta or have half and half just to kind of bulk things out a little bit, get some more fibre and get some more nutrients in your diet. I also feel like red meat is really important for women with thyroid issues because they tend to have low iron levels and low ferritin levels and iron's a really important nutrient for the production of thyroid hormone and also the conversion from the inactive form T4 to the active form T3. So if we're lacking in iron or we, we have heavy cycles so that we're depleting iron quite regularly, we do need to make sure that we're getting enough iron from our diets through foods such as red meats and organ meats. I like to recommend two to three times a week of red meat and maybe once or twice of organ meats like liver, heart and kidneys. These foods are so high in nutrients like zinc, iron like I mentioned and the whole range of B vitamins like B12 and B6 which are really important for healthy blood cells and mood, energy and metabolism. Organ meats specifically are really high in vitamin A and they're actually one of the only foods rich in vitamin A. You can get plant foods like carrots and sweet potatoes which you may have heard are high in vitamin A, but this is actually the beta carotene version, which can get converted, but the conversion rate is really poor and it doesn't actually provide a ton of the preformed active vitamin A that we need for thyroid function, healthy hair, skin and nails and immunity. Other nutrients that our thyroid loves are going to be things like iodine. However, I really caution people just taking iodine supplements willy-nilly because when I mentioned this autoimmune thyroid condition when we add iodine it can be like adding fuel to the fire and it can promote that autoimmune attack on the thyroid so a safe way to do it is to consume seaweed once or twice a week. I really like the seaweed snacks from Itsu. You can get these in most supermarkets and 
you can get the sea salted version and the really tasty and nice savoury umami snack and seaweed's quite high in iodine that's why I would only limit it to once or twice a week and definitely stay away from iodine supplementation unless you know that you don't have antibodies to the thyroid. Your thyroid also loves the nutrient selenium and selenium and iodine need to be in balance with one another so those who have negative reactions to iodine are often low in selenium. So along with the seaweed snacks you can also increase selenium intake to support this balance and an easy way to do that is through Brazil nuts. Consuming one, two or three Brazil nuts every single day can provide enough of the nutrient for your daily needs which is amazing and you can also make sure that you get a multivitamin or thyroid support supplement that contains around 200 micrograms of selenium just to make sure that you're reaching that beneficial amount. Selenium is really important for the production and the conversion of thyroid hormone and it also helps to reduce the levels of antibodies if they're present. So moving on to some of the other factors that you mentioned, the one thing that kind of stood out to me is the use of the pill and I'm not sure when you actually started that if that's a recent thing or if you kind of hopped back on it straight away after having your first child but this can definitely be related to the weight problems and you, if you've noticed that your weight's increased since starting that that's a definite link but if you feel like you went on the pill to regulate your cycles again and rebalance your weight this may not have been the greatest idea however if it's for contraception I completely understand but a lot of women don't understand the side effects and the risks of the pill the pill does deplete a lot of nutrients and the majority of the ones that I just mentioned that are important for thyroid health and some other ones that are really important for fertility and hormonal health. The pill also shuts down our progesterone production, ovulation and replaces our oestrogen and progesterone with synthetic forms that aren't as beneficial as our own natural forms and the pill induces a withdrawal bleed. It's not a real period, it's kind of a medication-induced period. So you didn't mention what was going on with your menstrual cycle, but that would be helpful to know what's going on because the quality of our bleed and the symptoms that we experience all month long can be definitely helpful indicators of what's going on throughout the body, but the fact that you're on the pill may skew these results quite a lot. So yeah, it would be important to know what other things are going on in the body. I recommend you read the book Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler and educate yourself on the fertility awareness method and although I can't advise coming off the pill or choosing an alternative I do recommend every woman reads this book because it provides you a ton of information on another alternative to hormonal birth control which is the fertility awareness method and this can be, when practiced correctly, similar efficacy rate to the pill and it doesn't interfere with your hormones and it can really provide you with a sense of body literacy and wisdom about what's going on with your female hormones. The pill is also well known at increasing weight gain in many women who take it as the synthetic oestrogen levels in there can definitely promote oestrogen dominance type symptoms so weight gain, heavy painful periods, breast tenderness, low mood and energy levels. So definitely that's a big thing that to consider plus the pill is also related to thyroid health because it increases sex hormone binding globulin and also thyroid binding globulin so it can really kind of soak up everything, all of the thyroid hormones and results in low thyroid symptoms and low th thyroid output. 
Next thing I want to mention is the CrossFit. And although it's an amazing type of exercise, it's not for everyone, especially women with hormone imbalances, in my opinion. I know that you're looking for something to help you build muscle and burn body fat. However, this may not be the best choice because a lot of the workouts can be quite intense and stressful on the body, even if you're only doing them a couple of times a week. It totally depends on how full your stress bucket is and it sounds like yours may be pretty full at the moment because you've got a young child, you're dealing with hormone imbalance symptoms, your diet isn't that great, you're taking a medication like the pill which kind of depletes us slightly and it could be suitable for someone who has an office job and is sat down all day and doesn't have a lot of stress in their life rather than someone who's dealing with maybe digestive issues, lack of sleep, a stressful job. Doing CrossFit session three, four times a week on top of that is a recipe for disaster. If you do want to continue with the CrossFit, I would recommend speaking to the trainers there and just opting for lower, lower impact exercises just to really support your body and focus more on the slow and steady movements and lifting heavy rather than the intense circuits and exercises that get your heart rate too high. Some exercises like yoga or just simple walking or pilates and bodyweight exercises can be really helpful to put the body in that relaxed state because we know that when the body is stressed in whatever way, this isn't always mental stress, it can be the physical stress of having a young child or having hormone imbalances or not having enough nutrients in the diet. The body can hold on to weight and this weight can be difficult to lose because the body is trying to protect itself. If you find that your weight is stored mainly around the abdomen, this is a classic sign of high cortisol and or insulin levels. And the reason that it stores in this midsection is as a protective mechanism to kind of protect the vital organs that are located in the like midsection of the body. Sending the message and signal to your body that you're safe, relaxed and nourished is going to be the best way to help manage your weight and put your hormones back into balance again. Opting for the lower intensity exercises, things like meditation, stress relieving activities, like yoga, reading a book, spending time with loved ones, taking an Epsom salt bath, getting a good night's sleep. These are going to be the things that help shift your body into the parasympathetic mode, which is the rest, digest and heal. And the goal in general with every health condition is to spend more time in the parasympathetic mode than the sympathetic kind of stress fight or flight state because ultimately the body doesn't care if it's carrying 20 plus extra pounds if it feels like that's the right thing to do to keep it safe and alive. Your body doesn't know the difference between perceived threat such as you worrying about your weight, stressing about your weight or your job or your finances and the real actual threats like being chased by a saber-toothed tiger 10,000 years ago or almost getting into a car accident. Your body doesn't know the difference between you being there in the moment with that threat in front of you or you just sat at your couch thinking about something stressful. Your body produces the same physiological response. Another thing that I've just thought of that could be really helpful for Katie could be really paying attention to her circadian rhythm and light and dark cycles throughout the day. This is one of the best ways to improve energy levels, mood and get your hormones back on track. 
what I like to recommend is first thing in the morning is opening your curtains as wide as you can and getting that sunlight into your eyes. If it's dark where you live, obviously this isn't going to be as easy as someone living in sunny climates. However, you can buy something like a light therapy lamp that provides the looks that we need to get into our eyeballs in order to signal our brain that it's time to wake up, it's daytime, and to produce healthy levels of cortisol, which is our alert hormone. During the day as well, if you're someone who works primarily in an office job and you don't get outside very much at all, you can start to go outside on your lunch break or opt to take your meetings outside if your boss is open to that or you have the ability to do that. And the opposite is true in the evening. You really want to limit your light exposure, especially that blue light that comes from technology and gadgets, like your phone, your iPad, your laptop, shutting them down around 8pm and allowing your body to wind down from the day and really get into that relaxed state and not have that constant signal of blue lights which signals sunlight and alertness in the body. If there's absolutely no way that you can shut down your gadgets at 8pm you can invest in some blue light blocking glasses which are some orange tinted glasses that help to put an orange tint on that blue light and block the blue light from getting in and promoting that alertness. They're available on Amazon, they're not too expensive and they're just easy to pop on at, eight, at 7 or 8pm and they really help to reduce that cortisol level and improve the melatonin production which is our sleep hormone that is should be at high levels during the night. Kind of cortisol is the alert that's out with the sun, melatonin is like the moon and it's our sleep hormone. Aim to be in bed by 10 and asleep by 10 if possible. This may not be achievable for everyone, so maybe 11 o'clock at the absolute latest. However, the hours between 10pm and 2am are known as the healing golden hours because that's the state where we're most likely to be in deep sleep and the restorative processes happen. It may be hard with a young child. For you to get a deep restful sleep every night, you may be woken up every couple of hours. However, do your best and the earlier you get to sleep, the more likely and the better chance you have of getting some deep restoration. So that's all I've really got to say about this case. I think that definitely the thyroid may be involved with this and this really does require testing before any kind of treatment or protocol should be followed because we need to know what's out of whack which hormone and this can indicate different things same goes with the nutrients like iron and vitamin d in particular you can do more harm than good if you just take supplements without knowing what your levels are because these can be kind of stored in the body in the liver and lead to some negative symptoms and it's much easier to find out where you are in terms of levels and then you can supplement accordingly so Katie, I hope that's been helpful for you. Our question is from Jess. It goes, hi Vivian, I'm a 26 year old female struggling with terrible skin, in bracket cystic acne on her face and back, redness and some dermatitis and also IBS like symptoms, although I haven't been diagnosed. I would say that my diet is pretty good. I try to eat a lot of fish, nuts and healthy fats like you talk about. And I've also recently gone gluten free to see if that helps. I've tried a lot of different things to help my skin, antibiotics, Accutane, Proactive and my stomach such as Simproof Probiotic, Food Combining, Aloe Vera Juice and different supplements. However, they've only really provided mild relief. My question is, what should be my next steps? 
I hear you talk a lot about the gut and skin connection, but I have no idea where to start. I'm so glad you started this podcast. Thank you so much in advance if you answer this question. Oh, thank you, Jess. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. Okay, so I'm going to start with the gut and skin connection because it is a massive thing and it could definitely be contributing to your symptoms. The fact that you have both skin and digestive upset is a link that they could possibly be connected and they likely are. The gut and skin are connected in different ways. The first one is that if your gut is inflamed, that's going to reflect on the skin. If there's any kind of sluggish bowels or poor detoxification going on, if you can't poo things out, then that's going to come through your skin or other organs of elimination. Don't forget that the body makes its own toxic waste from just general day-to-day processes, but also the things from our environment, so the pesticides on our food, the byproducts from our food, the endocrine disrupting chemicals from our skincare products or the pollution in the air, they all need to be processed by the liver, metabolised and then excreted from the body. If we're constipated or if we have dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of good and bad bacteria or just chronic inflammation in the gut that's preventing it from functioning properly, then this can really affect the detoxification capacity and we can start to get backed up. Even if you're pooping every single day, this could still be the waste from two, three days ago. Ideally, we want it to be from the day before, not three days previously. So people commonly think that they're not constipated, but actually they are quite sluggish and that even though they go in every single day, it can be quite old waste that's not being excreted on time. One way to test your transit time to see if you are eliminating yesterday's waste or last week's waste is to take a substance that will show up in your stool basically. So this can be sweet corn, this can be sesame seeds if you swallow them whole, beetroot or charcoal supplementation. And what you do is you take that and then you monitor and kind of look at your poo every single day since you consume that and see when it comes out. And this can let you know your transit time ideally. Optimal transit time is anywhere from 12 to 24 hours. Anything less than that is considered diarrhea. Anything more than that's considered constipation. Plus the gut-skin connection can be due to poor absorption of nutrients. So if you're not consuming the right nutrients or you're not absorbing them because of a gut infection or because of low digestive enzyme production or chronic inflammation that's preventing the absorption of these things, this can definitely impact the skin because when it's not got the right building blocks... It can't properly turn over and repair itself and it can become chronically inflamed, too dry, too oily, all of these things. Jess's diet is pretty good. For breakfast, she's having something like chia seed pudding with berries. For lunch, it's vegetable soup. And for dinner, it's usually something like chicken, roasted vegetables and sweet potatoes. So pretty good food, but I do want to dig into that a little bit deeper. For exercise, she does three HIIT classes per week, two boot camp classes and one PT session that's based around weight training. For supplements, she takes Simproof Probiotic, her skin and nails formula and she often has whey protein shakes after her workout sessions. She's never been on the pill or any type of medication, which is amazing and very rare. So Katie, the first thing that I recommend is doing some sort of functional lab test. You can get certain lab tests done through your GP. However, these for gut are going to be things like testing for blood, inflammatory bowel diseases and severe parasites and bacterial infections. For skin, they may test your hormones like testosterone and estrogen, but 
often they're done on the wrong times of the cycles or they aren't in the optimal ranges that we would like to see them in kind of the functional nutrition side of things. So again, always ask for blood test results and do get as many tests that you can from your GP. However, it may be worth investing in a functional lab test. I would start with one assessing the gut because instead of focusing on the skin, we want to try and find out what's causing that. The the skin and symptoms like hair loss are symptoms. They're not the cause and they're not the thing that we should be putting all our attention on. I would much rather you pay for a test to investigate your gut health because that's not just going to affect your skin. It's going to be affecting your whole body health, even though you may not have many other symptoms. It's always good to know what's going on in your gut if you have the opportunity to to do so. My favourite stool test is the GI map because it's so comprehensive and looks at everything from parasites to yeast, bacteria, H. pylori, which is a bacteria that resides in the stomach, levels of inflammation, antibodies to gluten and just absorption of different proteins and fats as well. If your digestive issues seem to be more upper gastrointestinal, so bloating immediately after meals or two to three hours after or acid reflux or gas soon after eating. These can all be signs of the small intestine being involved rather than the large intestine and this could indicate something like uh, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. And the treatment options for both of these can be quite similar but it is helpful to know which part of the digestive tract is involved and often both are occurring at the same time which isn't too much of a stress because you can kind of create a protocol to address both at once but like I mentioned it's always good to know what's going on and it's better to test not guess when it comes to everything with our health. After doing a test and seeing what's going on in the gut you may need to go through a comprehensive gut healing protocol something like a 4R protocol. Step one is to remove so remove the inflammatory foods, remove the chronic infections if they're present using antimicrobial herbs or conventional antibiotics depending on the type and the severity. The second R is to replace so you're going to replace the missing or deficient digestive enzymes. This could be through using supplements or using food as medicines or apple cider vinegar, lemon to stimulate the hydrochloric acid and the bile and the amylase enzymes to help break down carbohydrates. The third R is to re-inoculate. So that's when you're going to reintroduce some probiotic beneficial bacteria, spore-forming bacteria and prebiotic fibres into the gut to start to repopulate and regulate the microbiome once again. Some people usually just start at this point or start at the fourth point which is to restore the gut lining however if you're just throwing bone broth and collagen powder and probiotics at things when you've got a chronic yeast overgrowth this can usually make things worse and add to the problem. I see this mistake being made all the time and people think that they're just going through a detox reaction or the probiotics are working because they've got headaches and diarrhea but in fact they've actually got a chronic problem that's kind of adding fuel to the fire with the extra supplements. This is why the order of the protocol is so important as well and it's step by step in order to make sure that you're doing things at the right time. As I mentioned the fourth step is to restore and this is to restore the gut integrity and the gut lining. You may have heard of a condition known as intestinal permeability aka leaky gut and this has a massive connection to skin conditions, specifically acne and other things like rosacea. What happens is the microscopic lining of the small intestine becomes permeable, 
so like um, a mosquito net with holes in it and this lining is designed to keep the contents of the intestine in the intestine and separate from our bloodstream and when this lining becomes damaged it can cause tiny microscopic holes that allow bacterial fragments and undigested food particles from our intestinal lumen to seep through into the bloodstream and trigger an inflammatory immune cascade. This can be linked to food intolerances developing, food allergies, chronic inflammatory conditions like cancer, arthritis, and again, the skin problems like I mentioned, acne, psoriasis, eczema, and rosacea. If you don't have the resources to test or you can't currently afford these tests because they can be quite expensive, but in my opinion, you're kind of saving time and money in the long run because I've done this myself. I've thought, oh, I can treat that. I know what's going on and spent hundreds of pounds on supplements and probiotics and different foods and then find out that I've not cleared the infection or I had another infection or another problem that I should have been addressing this whole time. So the two, three, four hundred pound that you spend running a functional test may seem a lot in the short term but think of it as an investment and it's ultimately going to put you on the right path and make sure that you're not missing anything and not going in the opposite direction. Only once investigating the gut health and seeing what's going on with that because you've got symptoms like constipation or diarrhea or bloating then I would go into something like the Dutch test which is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones so it assesses the hormones in a ton of detail, much more than you would get from a conventional test. This is because it tests the metabolites of hormones, not just the levels. So if your doctor's told you that your testosterone or estrogen is normal, for one, it could be abnormal in the eyes of the functional medicine ranges, like I've already mentioned, but it could be at normal levels, but it may be going down and being detoxified by the not so great pathways. So the harmful pathways that can lead to a lot of symptoms. So for estrogen, it could be going down the pathway that causes and promotes proliferation of breast tissue or long term it could lead to certain types of hormone driven cancers like breast cancer and with testosterone it may be going down the alpha pathway which can lead to a lot of androgenic symptoms such as cystic acne, hair loss and the other symptoms related to PCOS. The simple thing to start with Jess is to just embark on a food elimination diet for the next four to eight weeks, try and make your diet as anti-inflammatory and anti-allergenic as possible. This is going to be kind of a paleo-style diet, focusing mainly on meat, fish, eggs, nuts, seeds and fruit and vegetables, and eliminating things like gluten, dairy, soy, corn, alcohol and refined sugars. This is going to be an easy way to spot any possible food intolerances that can be driving your acne and your digestive issues. Food intolerance tests are available, but I think getting the information from your body is the best option in this case. And I'd much rather you spend that £300 or £400 on organic food and supplements. You may find that you need to eliminate dairy long term because dairy is an inflammatory protein and it's been linked to acne a ton along with digestive issues. People usually think that it's the lactose sugar in milk that's the problem but even lactose free milk can be an issue because of the casein molecules which are pro-inflammatory plus dairy is a hormonal fluid in nature and it's designed to help things grow and it contains a lot of anabolic hormones that are designed to feed and bulk up a baby cow so you can imagine what it does in our body 
And if we're dealing with hormone imbalances or any inflammatory condition, whether it's skin outbreaks or arthritis or inflammatory bowel disease, it's always best to eliminate dairy, at least until symptoms are resolved. However, a large number of the population are sensitive to dairy, and they only realise this once they cut it out. Some people feel like they're fine because they're not having diarrhoea every single day, or they're not having skin breakouts, but it's only when they eliminate it and reintroduce it that they notice how good they felt when they weren't consuming it, and some of the symptoms that their body is displaying when they reintroduce that food. Dairy also tends to spike our insulin levels and insulin when it's too high and it's elevated for too long can trigger the ovaries and the adrenals to produce testosterone which is a male hormone. I'm not sure if you've been diagnosed with PCOS or you've had any blood tests to rule this out but I think that would be very important especially if you're dealing with acne that's on the chest or the back or the glutes and maybe other symptoms like facial hair or hair loss on the head, oily skin and period problems. As you know, I've got PCOS myself and I work a lot with women with PCOS. So if this is the case and it does turn out that you have some degree of PCOS, then there's a ton of free resources on my website and Instagram page just to help you out. And you can definitely get back in touch and let me know what's going on and maybe we can do another episode on your updates. I also want to touch on the impact of stress on both of the symptoms that you experience, so the gut symptoms and the skin symptoms. And stress can pretty much affect every every single cell and system in our body negatively because when stress is high in the body that takes priority, that depletes nutrients and that steals resources away from our hormone production and our cell repair and detoxification because your body doesn't care if your skin's looking good or if you've got IBS, if you're being chased by a lion or your life's in danger, it's going to deal with that before it deals if you feel good or if you're looking good. Stress and cortisol are made stress hormone produced by the adrenals when in excess or produced for too long and at the wrong times and wrong amounts. This can deplete a lot of nutrients like zinc and vitamin C and B vitamins that are all really important for healthy looking skin. So before even considering taking supplements from these things, make sure that you're not being stressed because if you're taking a supplement and you're still stressed out your mind, then that's just going to be depleted straight away and just be a waste of money. I would go with food sources first. So B vitamins are going to be things like organ meats, eggs and green leafy vegetables. Zinc is going to be red meat and nuts and seeds and shellfish. Vitamin C is going to be found in fresh fruits and vegetables. But obviously there is some cases where supplements are necessary just because of the modern lifestyle that we're living in and the poor quality soil. We need, we tend to need more nutrients now than we used to and that means more food we need to consume which can be difficult to obtain especially if you live a busy lifestyle. Your diet already looks pretty nutrient dense but I would be concerned a little bit about your kind of macronutrient intake and your caloric intake overall because obviously I've not got tons of detail here about your diet but the chia seed pudding and berries even though that's really great it is lacking a little bit on calories if I'm honest so maybe adding some nut butter, almond butter, cashew butter to that or some protein powder just to boost your intake a little bit further but stay away from the whey protein powder because we want to avoid that dairy especially while we're dealing with skin and gut problems instead go for something like hemp protein or pea protein or collagen protein. 
for lunch instead of just having vegetable soup, which is pretty much less than 100 calories if it's just stock and vegetables. Try and add some protein in there, so some shredded chicken or some lentils or quinoa or beans or have a side of some eggs just to boost the protein quality a little bit and get some extra calories because when our calories are too low, we're not eating enough. Even though we're eating healthy food, it's just not enough to support our metabolism. This is another stress on the body that can produce the cortisol hormone and then stimulate the adrenals to produce adrenaline and androgenic hormones like DHEAS and testosterone, which can cause acne breakouts. The evening meal looks pretty good, so chicken, roasted vegetables and sweet potatoes. But again, the size is maybe a little bit too small because you are working out quite intensely. So either back down on the exercise a little bit or you do need to increase your food intake to support your needs. When we're going through a healing period or we're trying to get our health back on track, I find a lot of women have benefit in reducing the exercise or in exercise intensity. So they still may be able to exercise every day, but they really need to take it down a notch and stick with things like walking, swimming, yoga, pilates, and light strength training rather than these heavy, intense workouts that you're currently doing. HIIT may be better off being done once or twice a week and make sure it's no longer than 15, 20 minutes because anything longer, it's not really HIIT. It's more just chronic cardio, which just stresses the body out. Boot camp can be quite good if it's kind of a circuit style, but make sure you're not absolutely dying after it and really pushing your body to the limit because again, our stress hormones are gonna really impact our gut health and may actually be driving the cystic acne that you're dealing with. I like to stick more with the weight training because that supports the regulation of our blood sugar and insulin levels and it has less of a negative effect on our gut health. Make sure that you're having some rest days too, just to calm your body down and let it recover and heal. That's really important and often overlooked. People think because exercise is good, more must be better. But it can be helpful to limit things, maybe in just the short term while you're working on these problems, and then in the future, if you feel up to it, you can definitely go back to the intensity and frequency that you enjoy and you feel like you can, you can get away with. It's all about that stress bucket. So during times when your gut's healthy, your hormones are balanced and your skin's back to normal, your stress levels in general are pretty low, you're eating the right amount of nutrients for your body and the right amount of energy that your body needs, then you can usually get away with the intense, sweaty, boot camp style classes. However, if your gut's a mess, you're not sleeping, your skin's breaking out, obviously something's going on inside the body, maybe there's a chronic gut infection going on, then that extra stressor of exercise, even though it's a good stressor, it's, it's a positive stress, it can definitely just fill up the bucket too much and that bucket can overflow and lead to symptoms and negative effects. So that's always something to just be aware of. Okay Jess, I hope you found that helpful. Definitely let me know how you get on with these changes. I'd love to hear everyone's updates from these Q&As. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating or review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next step to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.